It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. From Fox News, it's The Campaign with Brett Baer. On Sunday, 10 Republican senators announced plans to release a counterproposal to President Biden's $1.9 trillion coronavirus relief plan with a $600 billion relief package of their own. The senators, led by Maine Senator Susan Collins, requested to meet with President Biden, saying their proposal was in response to President Biden's calls for unity. This move comes as top Democrats have stated their willingness to use what's called budget reconciliation to bypass the Senate's 60 votes threshold and avoid a filibuster in order to pass the president's sweeping coronavirus relief plan. That would include $1,400 stimulus checks and a $15 minimum wage. We'll start there with our panel, editor and CEO of The Dispatch and co-host of The Dispatch podcast, Steve Hayes. Democratic strategist and syndicated talk radio host Leslie Marshall, and co-founder and president of Real Clear Politics, Tom Bevan. All right, Leslie, let me start with you. It's interesting to see that there are calls for bipartisanship, but not sure that that's what the legislating is going to look like. You know, there's calls from what the President Biden is saying, but when it comes to the numbers, they're really focused on Joe Manchin, let alone other Republicans. Uh, true to some point, but I, I definitely think when it comes to something like COVID, it's got to be like the president says, uh, COVID is not a blue, red or Democrat Republican issue. And, you know, we can flip the question, Brett, and say, are Republicans willing to have bipartisanship? I mean, if you go into a negotiation and you're saying, hey, our counter is less than a third of what you put on the table that's not going to come out with a deal. I mean, in any uh, negotiating with your Democrat or a Republican. So I would I would say there's hesitancy with regard to bipartisanship on both sides. And I certainly hope politics isn't motivating it or, or just, uh, you know, concern about uh, fiscal responsibility right now when so many people are hurting. Look, a governor of West Virginia is on the president's side on this and he's a Republican. So I, I think there is bipartisan support. Just not sure what the tenor bringing to the president today is going to yield that. Yeah, I mean, that's one side in the current situation. But if you turn back the clock just a little bit, the Trump administration was was bringing forward one point nine trillion dollars, too. And Nancy Pelosi did not take that up and didn't sit at the negotiating table. And when push came to shove and questioned about it, she said, well, we have a different president now. And that's the difference. So, you know, I mean, it's kind of the prism through which you look. No, I would agree. I would agree with that entirely. Um, You know, uh, certainly the relationship between Speaker Pelosi and former President Trump uh, was like a roller coaster. I mean, sometimes they actually were doing, you know, some deals together and sometimes they weren't. Sometimes he refused to meet with her. Sometimes she refused to meet with him. Uh, Certainly that's different now, but that's politics. We see that in both Democrat and Republican sides, depending on who's in power. Steve, um, when I mentioned Senator Joe Manchin from West Virginia, in part because of this interesting little political seemed like ham handedness by the White House sending Kamala Harris to do a live interview with a West Virginia uh, television station in which she makes the case for this 
you know, this COVID bill, the Democrat version in Joe Manchin's backyard. And he doesn't know that they're doing it. Uh, he gets upset. Meanwhile, while she's talking about the issues of West Virginia, she said West Virginians are concerned about landmines, not mine lands. Yeah. So it seemed like it backfired because Manchin came out and said, this isn't how you operate. Yeah, it, it was certainly a, a political misstep. I mean, you, you don't want the, the, the sitting senator of the state that you're trying to, to win over uh, on this important piece of legislation at the beginning of your presidency, the time where the presidency is at, at, its, at its, the apex of its power, to be taking shots at you because he was uninformed about your visit and attempt to pressure him and because you screwed up the execution of that pressure. It was a bad, it was a bad moment. Look, yeah. I, th I think this is not a great uh, first step for the Biden administration. Uh, you look at the, the kinds of people who are bringing this counterproposal among Republicans. This is what it means to, to work in a bipartisan fashion. I mean, you know, it, it's not like the people who are growing frustrated with the Biden White House on this relief stimulus bill are the, the Ted Cruz's of the Republicans in the Senate. These are the these are the moderates. These are the people that if Joe Biden meant what he said when he campaigned as a candidate who wanted to heal the country, if he meant what he said when he gave an inaugural address that emphasized unity above all else. These are the kind of people that you negotiate with. Nobody's asking Joe Biden to set aside his campaign plans to say that the things that he ran on and he ran as a, as a rather progressive presidential candidate are inoperative or he has to abandon them or anything like that. What he said as a creature of the Senate was, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to work with people in both political parties, people of goodwill to reach something that we can advance together to bring the country together. Well, that's exactly what these Republicans are proposing. And, you know, I talked to Rob Portman, uh, who announced that he's not going to be running for re-election in, in 2022. I talked to him last week about this, and it, it's pretty easy to get along with Rob Portman if you're yeah. a Democratic president. Or a Portman, Portman said, basically, I've had it. This is not what I signed up for. I thought that they were serious about working together and they're not. I also spoke with Anthony Gonzalez, a Republican from a, a, a district outside of Cleveland. He's part of the Problem Solvers Caucus in the House of Representatives. He voted to impeach Donald Trump. He's the kind of Republican that the White House ought to be consulting if they mean to have negotiations of people with good faith on both sides of the aisle. And Anthony Gonzalez said, uh, they're not serious about this. They don't actually really want our input and we don't want to be window dressing. So I think this is a bad first step and I hope it's not a sign of things that come from the Biden White House. Yeah, Tom, interesting that Jen Psaki at the press briefing said that meeting with Republicans is not an indication that he is negotiating with them or <laughs> ready to accept a proposal. So I just wanted to make sure to all the Democrats out there that he's just listening. And meantime, Democrats, through various questions, saying, why is he meeting with Republicans first and not sitting down with us? Right. Look, I, I think the Biden administration from the get-go has given no indication that they're interested in working with Republicans. I mean, you listen to Jen Psaki from the White House podium, and, and she's talking about you know bipartisanship and Republican. And people have asked her about the stimulus bill. And, you know, what Biden's willing to compromise on. And she's like, well, that's up to Republicans. What do Republicans want to, you know, what are they willing to strip out of this bill? Vaccination, money for vaccinations, money for schools. I mean, setting it up as if anything less than the $1.9 trillion is, is going to be Republicans taking money out of the, you know, pockets of grandmas and kids. I mean, it's just, it hasn't been serious. In a, in a normal negotiation, right, 
the administration would propose something more than what they thought they were going to get, right, and be willing to walk back on that. And the opposite side would propose something, you know, much lower than they would be willing to get, and you'd compromise. Right now, they're about, what, 1.3 trillion apart. So the, you know, a middle ground is somewhere around 1.25 trillion. But the administration has said, and, and, you know, Democrats have said, well, there's no money in there to bail out these cities. And so that's a non-starter. That is off the, it's automatic, you know, that's a, that, that is the deal killer right there. So there really hasn't been any, any real indication other than words that, that the administration is willing to negotiate something, willing to come down off of their number. And I think they're absolutely moving to budget reconciliation. And I think this is the beginning of, you know, Steve said he hopes it's not the beginning of, of things, you know, worse things to come. I think it is absolutely the beginning of worse things to come. Yeah. But you see, without Joe Manchin, even budget reconciliation is not possible. Correct. Then you add to that the fact that Mark Warner currently is quarantined. And unless you're going to put him in a spacesuit and get him into the Senate, you're going to be at 49, not 50. And, you know, it all on Capitol Hill, Leslie, comes down to math. Republicans can just sit back and say, go ahead, try to get to 51. And no Republican is going to vote for budget reconciliation, I don't think. I don't think even a Romney or a really anybody that I can think of, Murkowski, is going to vote for the $1.9 trillion version if you're not negotiating with Republicans who are in the middle. Look, first of all, uh, Jen Psaki's job as a press secretary, anybody's job as a press secretary, um, is to be a spokesperson for uh, the president of the United States. Uh, Joe Biden, when he campaigned for the presidency and over 80 million people voted for him with what he was you know, putting out there, one of the things he said is, you know, you know, I- I'm going to get rid of COVID and he's got to get rid of COVID. I mean, we've got to get people vaccinated. We've got to get COVID into our rear view mirror or part of our lives uh, as far as our immune systems, you know, building up and being strong enough, herd immunity being reached and businesses and schools being able to open, uh, you know, and, and that's, uh, you know, across the country. He certainly wants to work with Republicans. He got a lot of grief from liberals. Uh, not just far left liberals, but even centrist to moderate liberals when he said, I don't hate Republicans. I want to work with Republicans. And, you know, he is meeting with them. We don't look, they have their starting point. He has his starting point. And I would agree with what Tom said regarding the negotiation. That's how any negotiation is done in or outside of politics. But you, you can't just say, okay, I'm going to give in entirely and can't meet any of the goals that you set forth to reach the goals eventually that you promised to the people that voted for you, that you promised when you took this job and when you ran for this position as president. Yeah. See, I think, you know, this sets the table, obviously, for what happens in early March with this this vote. They have to get a budget resolution through, just so everybody knows. Budget reconciliation has to be off of a budget resolution so that you can essentially move the vote from 60 in the Senate to 51. You know, in the in the House, there are similar problems. There's a very slight majority there. It's only three that Nancy Pelosi can lose. And now, because Marsha Fudge from Ohio has moved to the administration, there's an open seat in Ohio that Governor DeWine has not set a special election for yet. So now it's only two seats that Nancy Pelosi can lose before the majority turns. Yeah, I mean, the path to success here, if, if Joe Biden makes good on 
what he campaigned on is by taking that that centrist path, by taking a, a bipartisan path. There are going to be things inevitably that he can do without doing that. Uh, you know, when, when Mark Warren comes back, reconciliation will be possible. And I expect that Democrats will choose to use it, a, as you might expect. Uh, you look at the way that that Joe Biden has started his presidency by, you know, using, as Barack Obama once put it, a pen and a phone to implement his agenda in an even more aggressive fashion than Donald Trump did, than Barack Obama did before him. Again, nobody begrudges Joe Biden the opportunity to do the things that he said he was going to do all along. And, and there is, of course, some disingenuousness on the part of Republicans who are throwing up their hands that Joe Biden is, is making changes to immigration policy that he literally campaigned on. Of course, he's going to do that. I think the question is whether he meant it when he said he wanted to, to work with Republicans on the big things, on the things that matter. And Leslie's right. Uh, addressing the COVID pandemic is one of those things. I think the other challenge that that the Biden administration faces is these new economic numbers. The Congressional Budget Office came out with rosy forecasts through the rest of 2021, projecting that the economy is going to grow by 4.6%, um, and and suggesting in effect that that you've had you've had uh, outside observers, including people on the center and the left, say, eh, maybe what they're pushing for this 1.9 trillion dollars in this context of projected economic growth isn't as necessary as we might have thought it was six or eight months ago. There's a statement out from Maya McGinnis, the president of the Committee for a Responsible Federal Budget, saying effectively just that. The economy is on its way to recovering, and the Congress has already, has already allocated funds, some of which remain unspent. So it's time to sort of pump the brakes, take a look, make sure that every dollar that we're spending to address the problems that you know probably – even Leslie and I would agree should be addressed. We're not spending too much money. We're not spending money or, or authorizing money that we don't need to be. Mm -hmm. Or that it's at least targeted and people over $300,000 a year are not getting it. At least that's the talking point from Manchin and others. We, Leslie, you mentioned the West Virginia governor who agrees that the stimulus should be big, however, also agrees that the early uh, executive orders from President Biden have really hurt the energy industry in his state and others. And, Tom, you've got, uh, you know, energy business industry saying we're going to be shedding jobs by the thousands. Um, yes. And, and look, this is a you know, we've, we've seen pushback from folks in uh, New Mexico, which is not a red state, and also uh, in Wyoming, you know, Oil and gas leases on federal land is like 90% of Wyoming because they have so much land. And that generates $300 million of revenue a year. And half of that money goes to public education. So the state of Wyoming is going to have $150 million less for public schools than they were because of the executive orders that Biden's going to sign. So I, I think, I think the, it's, a, it's a huge issue. Um, and it could come back to haunt Biden politically because there are plenty of, of seen and, and unforeseen ramifications uh, of that policy. But it was a promise, Leslie, on the campaign trail and something that he campaigned on. And it was clearly a goal of the of the Democratic constituency about climate change. So elections have consequences. Yet hearing John Kerry say that all of these workers in these small towns are just going to have to make solar panels didn't sound like the right tone on the launch of that that effort 
Look, in, ad- in addition to uh, making promises to Democrats and the more progressive faction of the Democratic Party, specifically uh, surrounding climate change, another thing that President Biden did promise was to get, you know, an infrastructure deal done so that we don't continue to have this D minus rating. And if you do, that's something that has broad bipartisan support to fix America's infrastructure. And if we do that, that will be a huge job creator. And there'll be uh, not just new jobs, but there'll be cleaner and greener jobs which can offset, uh, hopefully even even more than offset, uh, the number of individuals that would lose their jobs in, in some of these states like West Virginia or New Mexico. We'll hear from our panel after this. The world of business moves fast. Stay on top of it with the Fox Business Rundown every Monday and Friday. Listen to the Fox Business Rundown starting May 20th at foxbusinesspodcasts.com or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. Steve, what's the story that we are not paying attention to that's going to be a big one? That's a really good question. Uh, let me relate it directly to the, the conversation that we were having before, and I would say the national debt. Um, you know, it's very clear that the federal government had a role, and I would even argue a pretty big role, to help get the country through the pandemic. Um, it's, it's exactly the necessity of a federal government role at times like that, true crises, that you don't want to be irresponsible and run up the national debt and other times. And I think we're, we're, we're heading into a place of strong economic growth. Uh, you're looking at uh, a debt crisis that is almost certain at this point without reforming the entitlement programs that contribute to uh, the most to our escalating national debt. And you've got a a national debt at almost $28 trillion. You have people, basically leaders in, in neither party, actually talking about this. And it's something that's going, that we're going to be having a discussion about, either because we as a country are responsible and our, our leaders begin the process of trying to solve these problems, or because we're facing a debt crisis in probably shorter amount of time than we think. Yeah. And to your credit, you talked about that throughout. Some on the center right to right uh, left that on the dustbin uh, during many years in, the, in between. But you, you have been talking about debt deficit for a long time. Tom, I've got two. Uh, one is the, the lack of coverage that increased numbers of National Guard's troops in our nation's capital for this amount of time uh, has, has garnered. I mean, the fact that, that National Guard's troops are still set up and the gates are up and we understand that there's you know, threats around impeachment, but it's really not getting a lot of coverage. And it's, it, I think it, it could get more. And two is the upcoming trial for the police officers around the George Floyd killing. That's March, early March. And I don't think we fully understand the implications of that trial and what happens or doesn't happen through it. Yeah, I think both of those are great, uh, are great choices. I mean, especially, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting, somewhat ironic, because there's nothing that Washington likes more and journalists in Washington like more than to cover stories in Washington that are, that are right there. And for those of us who don't live in Washington, it, it, we're probably, a lot of people are not aware that the National Guard troops are still there um, and are projected to be there for, you know, weeks more. Um, and, and, the sort of militarization. I mean, it did get some coverage right around the inauguration, but it, after that, it completely evaporated. And so I think they're still here. Let me tell you. 
Exactly. And I think a lot of people don't know that because the coverage, to your point, just just went away. The George Floyd, the the trial uh, of those cops, that will be one of those that that, you know, will get a lot of coverage and and when it happens and, you know, who knows what's going to happen after that. Um, I, I do think and there's coverage of, of the Republican Party and what's going on. Uh, with Donald Trump and and who's going to, you know, how, how the Republicans are going to sort themselves out. But I, I continue to th- think that that is, that is a huge story, particularly as it, as it sort of is interwoven with all of these other stories about populism around the country, the sort of the anger that's out there, the Wall Street bets, all that stuff. Um, we're going to be headed toward an election in the, I mean, not too distant future, um, I know a lot of people don't like to talk about that because we're already, we're, you know, it's already underway in some cases. But, but, um, and as you mentioned, with the slimmest majorities in both houses of Congress, um, they will both be up for grabs, and and uh, there could be, you know, there will be huge ramifications in terms of, you know, how the Republicans sort themselves out, and and how Biden and the administration handles themselves and the and the, the agenda that they pursue. Uh, especially here in the early months, while they have, as, as Steve mentioned, they're at the at the height of their superpowers. Yeah, one story that did get attention was that the uh, 9/11 mastermind and the others at Guantanamo were going to get vaccines, and now the Pentagon has walked that back. So that's a story that uh, that went and then then walked back. Uh, Leslie, last one, a story that we're not covering, or we should be covering more of. Just hear me out. What we hear. And, you know, whether it's here where I live in California or throughout the country are, I believe, uh, stories left or right politically uh, based with regard uh, to COVID. And I think a lot of people out there just need to get the raw data uh, and the information out there uh, with regard to schools, with regard to vaccinations, because I, I think, quite frankly, that spin being put on this information plays into a lot of people's um, fears. I'm, I'm going to give you one uh, quick example. Vasculitis is something that they're seeing develop in children. And there are parents out there, you know, that don't want to vaccinate their children, even though a vaccine for children has not yet been created, and I'm sure it will. And, you know, the, these are things that we, you know, you shouldn't have to be married to a physician like me to, you know, get this information. There's just a lot of information that's being buried, uh, you know, factual medical scientific information, two plus two equals four, that the American people should have, I think, because then they could make better decisions, whether it's wearing a mask, better decisions, whether it's regarding uh, congregating, better decisions, whether they choose to or not um, get their vaccines. Well, I mean, that's great. I agree with you. I will say one thing that that when some of this stuff comes out as like Bible, that this is what we should do. Yes, we should now wear two masks. <laughs> then there's somebody else who comes out and says, you know what? Two masks is actually harmful to you. And I, I would just like if you're going to put it down on paper that it's it's the one that is going to be the real one. It seems like Wait, we've gone back and forth. <laughs> yeah, All I'm right, with ben, you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Here's a bit of presidential trivia. On February 6, 1911, the 40th president of the United States, Ronald Reagan, was born in Tampico, Illinois. Before entering the political arena, Reagan famously had a career in Hollywood as an actor. While shooting the movie Bedtime for Bonzo, Reagan starred opposite a chimpanzee. And while shooting the film, the curious chimp grabbed Reagan's necktie and pulled so tight the tie had to eventually be cut off the future 40th president's neck. There you go. 
some chimpanzee news for you. That will do it for this week. You can hear more of this series at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Make sure to leave a rating and review. We want to hear from you. For Steve and Leslie and Tom, I'm Brett Baer. We'll see you next time. The world of business moves fast. Stay on top of it with the Fox Business Rundown every Monday and Friday. Listen to the Fox Business Rundown starting May 20th at foxbusinesspodcasts.com or wherever you download your favorite podcasts.